Hello, and welcome to the NLP Highlights podcast, where we talk about interesting work in natural language processing. This is Matt Gardner and Walid Ammar. We are research scientists at the Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence. All right, today our guest is Joe Yu, who is an assistant professor at the University of California, Davis. Joe, welcome to the program. Thank you, Matt. Today, we wanted to talk about dialogue research. We've been doing these area overview episodes, and people requested talking about dialogue methods and chatbots and this kind of thing. Joe led the team at UC Davis that won the Alexa Prize last year, which is one of the main competitions for these kinds of open-ended dialogue systems. And so we thought Joe would be a great person to have on to tell us about dialogue research and what's going on there. Joe, do you want to start off by telling us like what is a dialogue system? Like what what do we mean when we say dialogue? Yes. So when we talk about dialogues, mostly it's where the contract is with respect to question answering. So dialogues mainly have multiple turns. So basically, I say something, you say something back, I say something back to you again. So you have these kind of multiple exchanges between two users or multiple users. When we say dialogue systems, it's basically we replace one of the human with a machine. So now we became a human talking to a machine. So it's a human-machine dialogue that we basically use all the time. Amazon Alexa or Apple Siri, uh, the, these are like common dialogue systems uh, people may know or use every day. So the dialogue system sometimes really depends. Uh, you can call it a spoken dialogue system, which means your input is speech. And you can call a normal dialogue system or a text-based dialogue system, which the input is typing text. Both of them could exist. Well, also depend on like the output. If the dialogue system is speaking back to you, then it's more spoken dialogue system. If the if the dialogue system is texting back to you, then it's more text-based dialogue system. When you say a speech dialogue versus a text dialogue, I imagine that all systems take spoken language as input and produce spoken language as output. Will it, in the inside still be working with text and not a speech signal? Is is that true? Um, yeah, that that's a big difference in terms of. Uh, what we call spoken dialogue systems or text-based dialogue systems. Uh, both of them are very popular. Yeah, I guess it's a whole lot easier to interact with something with your voice. Yeah, so they have advantages and disadvantages, right, on both sides. So for a spoken dialogue system, it's much easier to interact with your voice, for sure. Especially it's used for special scenarios, like, for example, in-car navigations. You can't really type. Sometimes like a, a, in smart home scenarios, people like to talk to it better than typing to it. Also interacting with your smartphones. Yeah, and I guess uh, Microsoft Research has some Twitter chatbots and those are all text. You're not going to have speech on Twitter. So yeah, I guess there are a lot of different applications. Yeah, so certain companies' customer service systems are text-based. So you can type in, right? So you can also call in. Basically, type in systems has advantage of it. It basically skipped the automatic speech recognition process. So basically, it's a little bit easier to uh, process text information. Yeah, one thing I'm still not totally clear on, you've mentioned in, in this discussion so far a whole lot of different possible dialogue systems. Like we mentioned customer assistance, things like Siri and Alexa and question answering systems. Like, it, Is there a way to like categorize the different areas of dialogue research? How do dialogue researchers think about all of these different applications? We are mostly saying the tasks are very different from each other or the domain of the conversation domain is different from every task. But in general, people may say that 
a task-oriented system or a non-task-oriented system. Uh, these are the major distinctions. Uh, task-oriented system is basically the system has a goal it needs to complete, and you evaluate it on the goal. While non-task-oriented system is basically what people usually call social chatbot that doesn't really have a specific goal, but the major motivation for building such system is to engage people in engaging conversations or for entertainment purposes or for exploring what is AI. Yeah, I guess you you could think of what you're calling non-task oriented systems. Also, like it's just a a different, much more open ended task. Like I've I've looked a little bit into the Alexa Prize. The end goal is to have an engaging conversation with a person that lasts for something like 20 minutes. And so you you do have a, a task. It's yes. just defined in terms of this vague notion of engagement. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to train a system, you've got to have some reward function or loss function somehow. And I guess that's how you would try to train this for these more open-ended systems in the end. Mm-hmm. So can you give some more examples of what a task-oriented dialogue system, uh, as you've defined it? Like what, what kinds of systems are these? Is Siri, is that, is that task-oriented? It really is. I would say Siri is mostly task-oriented. It is composed of different individual small systems uh, that completes one single task and they merge them together. So, for example, one small system handles setting alarms, one small system handling question answering, and then they merge them together. In terms of domain for dialogue system, it's basically there are a lot of domains. One possibility is we talked about customer service. For example, booking tickets, booking movie tickets, booking hotels. But it's actually more than a lot of people thought. Dialogue system could also serve as educational system. For example, the system that can teach you how to learn a second language can teach you science knowledge. It can help you to practice your communication skills and all these different purposes of learning. Also, like we say, uh, it can help in terms of healthcare applications. For example, when the nurse is doing the discharge, uh, you can replace it with a conversational system. Or if people are doing interviews, uh, such as clinical interviews uh, to screen depressions or PTSDs or these kind of different uh, mental disorders. You can also use a system, uh, conversational system to help you or assist you in these kind of uh, dialogues. It's actually much more than you thought. It can also be used in terms of entertainment. It can be uh, helping you to buy stuff like a recommendation through interactions. I can recommend a certain movie to you, uh, recommend certain uh, type of clothes. So basically, you can think about it's conversational system is just one another human being. And its advantage is just it can use the context. So multiple exchanges to help you to do things or do things together with you, or uh, doing negotiation. So basically, I have a goal, he has a goal, we're trying to negotiate things, or I want to persuade you, you want to persuade me. So it can do almost anything that human can do, but what we mostly focus is on the language behavior, less on the nonverbal or um, actual physical behaviors. So are there methods that transfer across different tasks, or is it mostly like... uh... Every task is completely different. That's a good question. Yes. So right now in the industry, everything is trained on one particular domain and everything is trained from scratch. They didn't really leverage other tasks. 
So our recent paper we submit to ACL is actually doing exactly what you're talking about, leveraging other domain information to help a domain that has less training examples or less annotated data. So just to be sure, are you making a distinction between the domain and the task, or are you like using them as synonyms? No, we mostly think domain and the task is the same. Okay, so what you're describing now is work which transfers from a task and a domain to a different task and a domain. Between tasks. So in dialogue system, a lot of times when we say task and domain, they're actually the same thing. Uh, what we did before is we used meta learning to try to learn a general model using different domains or tasks. Trained on asking for weather, asking for restaurants, asking for bus information and try to adapt it to a new task that has less annotated data. For example, booking movie tickets. So that we did uh, one-shot learning and also like, semi-supervised learning given like, 10% of the data. Basically, we're saying the reason that we can do these kind of domain transfer is you still like these different tasks. They still share certain dialogue acts that are as universal. For example, booking tickets or booking restaurants, they all have this kind of request information and they all have this kind of provide information that are going on between two users. So basically, you can basically learn these syntactic information from these tasks and transfer it to a different task, but also have these kind of dialogue acts. So you mentioned like transferring the data. How about the models themselves that are used underlying for each of the different tasks? Do they tend to be... Uh, so aside from your latest work on this problem, do, do people typically use completely different methods or are there like methods that generally work well for a large variety of tasks. So I have to clarify one thing is my previous work is transferring the model, not really data, because we are learning the model from multiple tasks and trying to use that model to adapt the model to a new task. So if you're saying if there are other people who have been working on the similar areas about transferring models from one task to the other. So uh, there is Tian Chen from CMU, Maxine students. He had a one paper on zero-shot transfer learnings. A similar concept also is transferring the models to a new domain. Very few people have been looking on that. So it's basically me and him. The reason is mostly uh, dialogues data is somehow very few of the available dialogues data sets are there. So people really have a hard time trying to find what is transferable and what is not transferable. So we have been working on like Cambridge restaurant, the bus information request data for a long time. The major reason is it's really hard to collect these kind of multi-domain data and annotating these data really requires a lot of effort as well. So maybe something that would help clarify this is, can you give us a quick overview of how dialogue systems work for task-oriented or non-task-oriented dialogue? Like what, what are the basic building blocks of these systems? So dialogue system, and traditionally we separate them into a couple of different tasks. First is called natural language understanding. So you have a sentence, for example, where I want Italian food. I want to understand in terms of what is the dialogue act. So basically it's providing me with the information. And I want to understand specific slots that are useful for me to help me to query information from the database. Here in particular is Italian. So you can treat this as sequential tagging problems and also a dialogue act prediction problem. So there are two. 
And then once you have these information about the slots, then what we usually do is what we call dialogue state tracking. So dialogue state is basically something uh, you can think about in reinforcement learning similarly as well, it, the uh, history. So basically things you want to track over time. In restaurant domain, basically things you wanted to track is what type of food you want, how many people you wanted to book the restaurant for, where do you want to go, so these kind of area. So these information you accumulate over time for like once the conversation is going forward. So you basically accumulate all these states. So you want to track over time. So that's another task we call dialogue state tracking. Once you have these kind of dialogue state tracked, the next thing you do is basically what we call dialogue manager policy planning. As a system, you know what we have so far from the history. Then what you need to do is based on the history, what should we do? So what the system should react to the user? Based on certain information that you learned over how humans do it, you basically plan on, oh, if I already have the food type, already have the area, already have the number of people, then the only thing that I'm missing is whether you want an expensive restaurant or cheap restaurant. Then the system basically plans out, oh, this slot is missing, then we should pick this specific action to execute. Then basically, uh, now the dialogue system knows like uh, my act is request information about price range. And this is your dialogue act of the uh, system. And then the last part is natural language generation. Based on these kind of, we call it meaning representation, how can you translate that into uh, natural language surface form? Basically, people are saying like, what price range do you want? So basically, that's some natural language you want to generate in the end. So basically, this is like the whole pipeline. Yeah, thanks. That, that was a super helpful example. And it made me think about connections to research that I've done. We typically call this a semantic parsing, where you translate language, some natural language statement or question into an executable program. So like if I could rephrase what you just said in, in my terminology, you basically have a dialogue execution engine, something that is, well, I, th I think there are other ways to, to do this than, than what I'm going to describe, but this, this is one thing you could do where like I write some dialogue management piece of code that knows it needs these pieces of information. I get a dialogue turn from the user, I parse it into a, a statement that I'm going to execute on this program, the program produces some output and maybe sends it to the user, and then you just continue this way. It's just semantic parsing that is, as you go, changing your, your execution state. Did that sound like a reasonable approximation of what you said? Yes. But I, I think one key difference, though, that but between how we typically think of semantic parsing and, and what these dialogue systems do is that um, there are pieces of this dialogue management system that are also learned. Is is that true or is it all pretty much written by hand? <laughs> so it really depends on how you design your system, but mostly is the slots are predefined. So basically, what are the information you need? So in the dialogue manager. So if you think about the whole thing as a semantic parsing pr problem, then the only difference in turn is the dialogue state tracking which is we actually accumulate the information across the dialogues. So semantic parsing, you basically execute on one sentence, right? You don't keep track of the previous history. So because of the tracking of the previous history, then you basically uh, parse it back. Basically, you have the logical form, then you generate the natural language out of it. So definitely people can't use semantic parsing to do language understanding. So basically parsing the natural language sentence of the human into a logical form. 
Yeah, and I think this also gets Waleed's earlier questions about what things are transferable. If we think of this still in in this terms of like semantic parsing, like or the natural language understanding piece that translates language to some program or number of slots or whatever, and then separately, maybe mostly handwritten, maybe some learned components on the execution of the dialogue management. It sure seems like the dialogue management stuff has to change depending on what task I'm doing. Whereas there is probably some way to transfer some components of the model that goes from language to program or slots or however you want to call that. Is that is that fair? Yes, definitely. This is what we, I usually call it like these are separated modules, but you can combine these modules together into more end-to-end in, uh, encoder-decoder framework. So, for example, one of the recent work is trying to combine language understanding and dialogue management together. And then you basically can integrate certain things out. So you become a sequence to sequence. Your input is your utterance from the user. And then plus like a system previous utterance and belief state. So basically your dialogue state. And then you decode your current dialogue state. And then you use the current dialogue state and previous utterance to decode the system utterance. So that's also possible. You can think about the most basic encoder-decoder methods have been used for dialogue generation, which is specifically just for chit-chat. Right? Basically, it doesn't really incorporate any of the history. So basically, one sentence in, one sentence out. So that's specifically only used uh, uh, quite popular with like a uh, chit-chat. That sometimes context doesn't really, uh, it's not that useful. But still, like for a task-oriented system, you wanted to control these logics, then it's harder just use one encoder-decoder to, to solve everything. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you represent the state in the dialogue management system? Yes. So the states, how you represent them, somehow is defined by experts. Here in particular, we have annotations. So we have human-human conversation. And then people as an expert will label these states. So for example, uh, after this conversation, this utterance, my state would change. So it's predefined. For example, in restaurants, I predefined the states are consistent of like updates on restaurant type, price range, uh, location of the restaurant, uh, how many people. So these are predefined slots. So that's why a lot of times that a lot of uh, human efforts are put into designing these states. So it's very similar to you do reinforcement learning, right? So you, if it's a discrete state, you actually define it yourself. So one particular state value would be, I already know which restaurant or which uh, cuisine the, the user is interested in and what time they want to go, but I don't know how many uh, people are going. So that would be one value of the state. Yes. You can think about it as a sequence. Italian cheap. And that's it. <laughs> and so uh, what I wonder about this is why would I want to predict the next state with a seek-to-seek model? Or is, is that basically having the seek-to-seek model predicting the next program, which implicitly, like, you're, you're basically just abstracting away the program at all. And instead of going from like language to slot, I go from language to next state. Is that what's going on in this encoder-decoder model that you were talking about? Yes. So in dialogues, especially if we have specific goals we want to complete, we will design these dialogue states. And then now basically we say the encoder-decoder, we wanted to decode the states. 
and then update the states to make sure that states are having the supervision. Previously, encoder decoder, you just have your utterance and your system utterance, right? User utterance, system utterance. But now we want to add in an extra component is basically two decoder. I want the user utterance coming in, I decode the dialogue states. So I can check with my previous human annotated decoder to see if the states are correct. Right? So basically I had this kind of an extra loop of supervision to make sure my logic is correct. Once I think my logic is correct, I use my logic to produce a system's utterance. I'm a little confused by you. What do you mean by uh, the state is correct here? So it's, it's by, for example, I have the user utterance coming in and I have some histories, right? I want to make sure the first decoder, the decoded output is the belief state which is what we call dialogue state, right? So I want to make sure that the system understands I already had food type, I already had, for example, a number of people. We train this thing in a supervised fashion, right? We have a human-human conversation labeled with these dialogue states. It's a supervised setting Then basically I tell you that if the user says this and what the history is, you have to decode this type of dialogue state to me. You can't make errors. So the supervision happens at the level of the state values. Yeah. So basically you have this extra supervision from the human. Yeah, I guess. So the difference here seems like I, I could alternatively have human utterance and slot supervision. And then I write the state change code myself where I have my... My, like encoded in my dialogue management software is the current state and how the current slots update my current state to the next state. And what you're saying is, is instead I replace that dialogue management software with just these annotated state sequences and predict those directly, removing the need for the program. Do you have any intuition about when you would want to do each one of these two options? Yeah. You can think about you have an NLU, you have dialogue state tracking, you have dialogue policy planning, you have natural language generation. You have this kind of four components. So you can combine any of these together in terms of sequentially, or you can combine all of them together. And then basically, if you separate everything out, you get extra information in terms of supervision. So the trade-off is if you separate everything out, it requires more annotation from human. If you combine them together, it definitely requires less human supervision. It really depends on the task difficulty. Certain tasks, if like you're integrating everything together, just having the dialogue act as supervision might be good enough. By certain tasks, it's much more difficult than probably giving it more annotations. For example, the dialogue act of the system, the user's dialogue act or slots values could help it better. So it really depends on how difficult the task is. So we also did another paper recently as trying to understand like a, what type of task would be helpful in integrating or combining certain modules together. So for Cambridge restaurant task, it's a relatively easy task. Um, then basically integrating everything together, just leaving out the bleed state as an annotation is good enough to get a pretty good results. But if it's a more complex task, so recently we have been looking into a task called a Lenovo laptop, a wireless problem. Basically, it's a customer service system that's trying to help you to solve your wireless does not work for your ThinkPad. <laughs> and then this task is much more complex. It's not like the restaurant that you just ask for what's your food type, what's the area you want to be in. I can do a database search and tell you uh, what this is the restaurant you're looking for. Well, for these kind of problem shooting scenario, you wanted to collect some information from the human. And then you're trying to say, hey, why don't you try this solution? 
and the user have to try the solution and tell you, oh, this solution doesn't work. Then the system has to replan, so oh, because it didn't work and it gave me this output, I need to ask you to try another solution. So this, in terms of dialogue manager planning, it's much more complicated. That's why we find like separating these out, like individual models and trying to let them share some information through a hidden state is actually more efficient compared to only uh, giving them the dialogue state uh, supervision. Yeah, that's interesting. So it really depends on how complex your task is. Ideally, the perfect world is you have a lot of data and all the data is annotated with all the possible annotations we have. Then it's basically, you'll get pretty much perfect scores. But then if you have limited data, so basically you have limited number of conversations, then the only thing you can do is make sure all the annotations you annotated are feeded into the uh, model. Then you probably can get a better performance. But sometimes all of them annotated is not necessary. You can get rid of certain, for example, dialogue NLU understanding for restaurants because it's relatively simple. The dialogue act is just provide information and uh, request information. But for certain tasks, for example, the Lenovo task, the dialogue acts is much more complex. And then probably including the dialogue act understanding for the user and the system is going to help you in planning your system as well. It's always a trade-off. If you provide more data, provide more annotation, your system is definitely going to be better. But in reality, as you have to put all these kind of human efforts to actually generate these, then it's not generalizable to different tasks. So it's a trade-off between like, a, do you want a better system? Uh, you want either to collect more data or you either wanted to provide more annotation for a limited set of data. Hmm, interesting. Thanks. That was a, a good overview. I guess just to summarize the conversation so far, we've talked about what dialogue research is, that there are these two main ways of thinking about this, of task-oriented dialogue and non-task-oriented dialogue, or more like chit-chat, social chatbot kind of stuff. We've talked a bit about how these basic systems work. So there's a an understanding component that parses text into some kind of slots or program that then gets interpreted by a dialogue state tracking kind of module, which then produces some dialogue output, right? A next interesting thing to talk about is how do you evaluate the output of these systems? Do you look at the text that is output? Do you look at some external signal like task completion rate? How do you know how well you're doing here? So mostly we look at task completion rate for a task-oriented system. For example, booking a restaurant is you have to get the restaurant name. And that name has to be correct. That's fitting all the criteria the user is requesting. While for other tasks, then things are more complicated. Even with task-oriented systems, sometimes it could be a little bit uh, complicated. For example, we are looking at tasks that is not collaborative, like negotiation. Right? Then the evaluation is a bit different in terms of what we think is like acceptable in terms of the range in, in like, for example, buying stuff. Also, like another thing that we look at is in comparison, right? Which one is more efficient? Even if like both systems complete the goal, but like a system A completed the goal in five turns and system B completed seven turns, then A on average is more efficient than B, right? A is better than this. Um, there are all these kind of other things that we will look at as when we talk about evaluation, right? A lot of times people are just evaluating on the existing data set that is collected, which is not cool at all. It's because like if uh, in real time, when you're talking to real human, people will definitely have different type of reactions to the system um, because individuals are different. 
So ideally, we wish every paper when they are talking about their evaluation, they have tried it with real human. So either you deploy it on Mechanical Turk, or or you have like a a fixed set of people would actually interact with the system. Then you look at the task completion rate. Instead of saying, "Hey, I build a, my own user simulator. I simulate how user would actually be doing," and you evaluate on the user simulator, because how you build your user simulator is a big factor in the evaluation process. If you build a really simple user simulator, for example, A comes in, I just say B. Then it's very easy to max out the user simulator. You can always do it correctly. We also recently is trying to say uh, establish some like standards for user simulator. For example, you can't afford to do real user uh, evaluation. We can give you some standard user simulator that we built, and uh, tell you like if you use this simulator, if you get a hundred percent, that means like for you a real user probably you get a certain percentage. And uh, depending on how complex your user simulator is, then it will tell you like how good your system's performance is. So this is mostly for a task-oriented system, but for a non-task-oriented system, then the evaluation metric definitely is a lot more fuzzy. One universally things that we agreed on is if we give you this particular setting, if the user is voluntarily interacting with this particular system. He thinks like、uh, basically the longer he is willing to stay in the conversation, the better the system is. So basically, the length of the conversation we are talking about. The other possibility is we ask the user to self-report his perceptions of the system. Usually, we say like,、uh, "How likely would you come back to talk to the system again?"、Uh, this is one type of question people ask. Another type of question people ask is, "How engaged do you feel throughout the system?" And also, these are probably more holistic understanding of the, how good the system is for a social chatbot. For individually, for turn-wise, a lot of people would use in terms of appropriateness or coherence. In this context, if I reply, the system replied this. Do you think it's coherent? Another thing is called diversity. For example, the system. If you use just sequence-to-sequence model, a lot of times the system would generate a very boring, tedious sentence. Things like I like, I don't know, I like it. Um, so diversity somehow is another metric people would actually evaluate the system response on. We have to say there's no automatic metric that is so convincing that people say if that automatic metric you reach like a really high score, and then you get a really good chatbot because every metric somehow is biased towards certain dimension. For example, if you say coherence. It's really hard to evaluate automatic evaluate coherence. A lot of people say, "Oh, maybe you can build a classifier on an annotated corpus of coherent and incoherent sentence, and try to use that as a classifier to prediction score on a new sentence that you see." But this is also biased in terms of if you're trained at corpus and your tested corpus are very different from each other. It's really hard to say the predictive score is actually very useful. Other people may do things like a blue score, which means that they have some like a reference sentence, which is like they they got it out from like a human human conversation. And the problem is if you actually use that chatbot, right,、uh, use it to interact with real human, the real human would definitely not follow the script. It would diverge very soon. And then you don't really have any reference sentence you can、uh, reference back to. You maybe can do like a one term in terms of reference because、uh, all the context is similar. You say, "Oh, 
if you, it was you, what would you say? But it's not ideal in terms of evaluating a real dialogue systems uh, that are interacting with real human, where while this real human has all the freedom to say whatever he wants to. That's why it's this kind of dilemma in dialogue system because there are multiple turns. You can collect a conversational system corpus that are basically uh, covers all the possible the spanning tree about how people would diverge when they're responding to the system. Yeah, that was really fascinating. That was a lot more different ways to evaluate this than I was expecting. It's a really hard and interesting problem. I think to wrap up, the last question that I have is, what are the open problems that you see in dialogue research? Where should research go from here? Uh, are there exciting areas, areas that are super hard and seem intractable right now? Where do you see re research going? Um, so I have certain interests definitely is, one is learning with less supervision. For example, labeling dialogue uh, dialogues are extremely difficult. Collecting dialogue corpus is extremely difficult. Can we uh, build algorithms that need less data or less annotation? but still build a pretty good conversational system. That basically uh, is talking, we are talking about transfer learning, we're talking about uh, semi-supervised learning or unsupervised learning entirely. So anything that we can reduce in annotation or data needed would be very interesting and very practical for the industry as well. Because a lot of time, like industry right now, still use rule-based dialogue systems, why? Is it because it's really hard to obtain all these kind of dialogues that we require for you to build a machine learning based model? So if you need less of these data, less of these annotations, then the people would actually be more acceptable of using the ML-based system. And mostly ML-based system, if it can generalize towards different domains, that would basically help the system, industry people to actually deploy one type of pipeline, just change the training data or change something to adapt it to a new domain or a different task. So that, what I think is most important things that we need to solve in the dialogue domain, is basically how to make our methods or algorithm attractive to the industry so that they put in less effort to build high quality dialogue systems with less rigid output of the system and logic. It's more adaptable to human beings, uh, individual users as well. The other thing we can see is, I personally is very interested and I've been working on as well, is how do we just step out of these kind of question, information, request, and exchange dialogue system, these collaborative dialogue systems, to go into a more competitive goal dialogue systems that involves topics such as negotiation, recommendation, persuasion. So it's not like, oh, we all know perfectly well what I want to do, and what the system want to do, and we do things together. Now the system has its own goal. The user has, a, has their own goal. We're trying to negotiate between each other to reach a certain consensus. So uh, it could be applied in a lot of things. For example, if the system wanted to help people to sell stuff, right? He needs to know how to negotiate prices. If the system wanted to be uh, helping patients to persuade the patients to take their drug on time, persuade the patient to do exercise all the time, right? So these type of, these kind of competitive goal systems are very important, but very difficult to train and model. Yeah, I was, I, I listened to a podcast called Intelligence Squared U.S. Debates, where they bring in a bunch of people uh, every episode to debate some 
topic. And not very long ago, there was an episode that had, I believe it was a system from IBM Watson that was mm -hmm. participating in the debate against a human. <laughs> yes. Which was interesting. Yes. <laughs> Argumentation generation is also very important. Uh, framing saw these. Great. Do you have any last thoughts? Any Anything you wanted to talk about that we didn't cover before we finish? One more thing is about uh, expanding dialogue system into multiple modalities. So that's also my uh, uh, PhD thesis is right now we're talking about the system's input is text or audio. What if we have much more richer input and output? Which means, for example, we have the ability to, under, uh, to get the vision feeds. We can do analysis on the users, for example, emotions or facial effects. We can use acoustic information to understand uh, humans' mental states a little bit better. Can we utilize them with these information to adapt the users better? Also, in terms of the physical output of the system, what if we can show you pictures, not only tell you what's going on? What if we can play you certain uh, animations? Even a little bit more further is on if you use the system on robots. If you tell the robots to do things, the robots can actually move things for you or give you certain things. So it's a bit more complex and now it goes into this kind of human-robot uh, collaboration. But these are all like a connecting areas in dialogues that is, I think is future research and it would bring much more complex problems, which is more exciting to solve. Yeah, great. That sounds really interesting. Thanks, Joe, for, for coming on and talking to us. This was a really interesting conversation. Sure. Good to talk to you guys too.